welcome to episode 39 of the BM Cast. Not a podcast that takes a shot at Murphy two weeks in a row, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott, and I am joined by the illustrious historian herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? I am doing pretty well. Pretty busy because we are in the middle of a Strixhaven preview season, so there's lots to do. Mm. But I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, so that is that is comforting to see. Nice. So as for Magic, I haven't been able to play a huge amount because I've been really busy with work. But what I have managed to do is spend some of my downtime sorting out my peasant cube because lockdown's starting to ease in England a little bit. There might be a chance where I get to see mm. people again, so therefore I can, you know, we can play cube. So I haven't touched the cube in about 18 months, which is quite a long time when we're talking about Magic the Gathering product speak because, you know, there's a load of product. That's like 24 releases you've missed now, is that right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> so the last time I remember getting cards for it was Pharos Beyond Death, which was about a year ago, oh. but I didn't update it. I just picked up cards for it, mm. So, which feels like a lifetime ago. So I've spent this week going through my cube, making sure I have everything, updating my Google Sheet to make sure everything's all there. And then I'm going to be looking to update it with cards from like Kaldheim, Ikoria, Jumpstart, Commander Legends, and probably Strixhaven at this point. Um, lots mm. to do, um, but it's keeping me busy and it's just nice to update it and, you know, pick up some nice cards for it. Yeah. Outside of that, I've been playing more Slay the Spire because the game's great and why wouldn't I want to play Slay the Spire? I did do a stream last Saturday where I streamed a bit of Slay the Spire and chilled out. It was pretty fun. And just thanks yes. to everyone who popped by and had a little chat. How about you? What have you been up to? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I wrote a new article for this week, as I usually do, and it's up in Car Kingdom at the moment. I'm talking about the Mystical Archive and how it's great for players, especially for more budget-conscious players that are looking to personalise their decks. So that's up there now if you want to check that out after the show. In terms of magic, this should have happened sooner, to be honest, but I've been really getting into Is It Blitz in Modern. Like, I don't know how I went this long without playing it, because it's basically halfway between Mono Red Prowess and Is a Phoenix. I absolutely love it. I am not surprised um, you're playing it, is it, deck, in modern? Yeah, surprise, surprise, you know? <laughs> I am 100% playing it without fetches, though. I'm playing my Pioneer Mana Base for my Is a Phoenix deck, because yeah. it's basically good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, that's quick. The number one budget trick for modern Mana bases: buy a Pioneer Mana Base, save yourself a ton of money, it's all good. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's what I do with all my all my modern decks. And, you know, screw playing with fetches because it's $200 or more for a few rectangles of cardboard that often just fetch you up a mountain. Like, mm-hmm. no, thank you. Um, outside of magic, I've been doing kind of the usual stuff, you know, I've been cycling a bit more in the nice weather, which is good. I've been playing some games, but I've had to stop playing Final Fantasy XIV. It just has too many things to do. Is it a decision paralysis, sorry, where it's just like, you don't know what to do next? Or is it just like... Sometimes. Okay. It's, it's weird because... There are countless things to do. If you don't follow the main story quests, there's like 7,000 quests for you to do Like mm-hmm. that are other things like fetch quests or go fight this guy or do this or whatever. Um, but even the main story quests, there are tons of hoops to jump through for stuff. So to just give you a, a little idea as to why this doesn't work for me, to get past a certain point in the story, you need to get a chocobo, right? And mm-hmm. to those that don't play Final Fantasy games, it's basically a huge chicken that you use as a mount to travel around with, right? But to get a chocobo, you need a license. But in order to get the license, you need a special in-game currency that can only be got through doing specific requests that require you to go and find items and then deliver them to places. Now, I love puzzles, 
not busy work. My partner, Leanne, she can't get enough of the busy work. She's just like, I want to make it feel like I'm doing work outside of work and I feel good to tick that box that I'm doing a good job. I'm like, no, I need to be given like some wrinkly brain stuff and I like be told like, prove how smart you are. And like, that's, that's what I need to do. So if anyone has any suggestions for good games that have little to no busy work, but have loads of puzzly stuff like that, I am all ears because I can't be doing it anymore with this Final Fantasy XIV. It's just too much, too much busy work. Far too much. Too many chores. Yeah, absolutely. But my gaming outside of magic aside, have we got any housekeeping this week, Emma? We do have some housekeeping this week. So we would like to give a huge thank you and hello to Christopher McCarthy, who is our latest patron of the Cheering Fanatic tier. So thanks a lot, Chris, and enjoy the stonks. It's much appreciated. Absolutely. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. All right, so before we jump into the meat and bones of the episode, Emma, have you got a card of the week for us this week? I do have a card of the week, and it's one from Throne of Eldraine. No, not that card from Throne of Eldraine. We're talking about Castle <laughs> Vantress. So I'm a big fan of that cycle in general, Castle Eldraine being mm-hmm. another one. Um, it's just a free way to sit through an answer or win condition because it allows you to scry. And the, the requirements mm-hmm. are just so easy because you just need an island, which is really simple, especially on a budget outlook, it's very, very simple. And also, if you if you play any like blue white deck in modern, replace your celestial colonnades with this because it's just so much better. And Castle Ardenvale because yeah. we're not in twenty twelve modern anymore. We're in you know twenty twenty one where you need to play better cards and stuff like Castle Vantress and Castle Ardenvale are good answers. And they're like a dollar each, much cheaper than a yeah. celestial colonnade. So pick them up; they're great. Absolutely, I'm a big fan of Castle Ardenvale. I never understood why anyone would want to pay essentially four or five mana on their turn to attack with the land when you can hold up all the interaction in the world and then if they don't try and win the game you go well i'm making a creature yeah that's just so much better but i digress what we are talking about this week is strixhaven same as well literally every other podcast on the planet right now that has anything to do with magic because it is the thing to talk about right now which to be fair is pretty neat it's it's a cool set it's a little weird for me because Obviously, we're used to like sets such as Thirst Beyond Death and Throne of Eldrain, mm. and even Kaldheim had a couple of powerful cards. Looking at Tibbot's Trickery, but even like overall, that was a fairly low powered set. And mm. it, like my first impressions of Strixhaven just feels like it's really, really underpowered. But I don't know if that's because the last year of Magic design <laughs> has warped my perception to the point where I just expect super powerful cards all the time. Um, but on, a, on like a flavor approach, it's great. I love all the colleges and like all the identity they have and, you know, like the star students and things like that. It seems really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Same here. I do think that this set is probably around the power level that I would like for standard mm. and for magic sets in general, because we are, as we're going to discuss soon, there are cards that we're going to see that are going to show up in Commander, that are going to show up in Pioneer, in Modern, all over the place. But they all seem just good. They don't seem like, oh, well, this is going to break this format, you know. Mm. On top of that as well, there's, there is something to do with the flavor here that just feels more approachable, I think, than a lot of, say, for argument, like the, the Ravnican guilds. Because, as you know, up until now, I've been very much like, oh, I'm an Izzet mage, I'm an Izzet mage. 
now that I see Prismari and I see the the expression side of things and and being the the artistic flair side of things that feels more in tune with me than I'm a mad scientist and might accidentally like I don't know genocide a bunch of people by way of lightning (laughs) storm or something like you know like that does not vibe with me at all it's just the it's the experimentation and like and trying things out kind of thing that's what I vibed with but it always felt weird to sit there and be like might end up killing people but sure look it's all in the name of, I don't know being insane like that never worked for me yeah I can relate to that because I really appreciate the school of law hold which is all about history and archaeology and finding information and learning mm-hmm. stuff and I resonate with that better than Boris that says like oh here's battalions punchy punchy smash smash let's do all this thing for righteous good and it's like I kind of relate more to finding like really old because I'm into history anyway so I mm-hmm. guess I'm going to lean more on that so I would call myself a law holdian if that's the term instead of mm-hmm. a, mm-hmm. A, a Boros person um, so yeah yeah it doesn't really help the Boros cause that their you know emblem is a white fist it looks yes. very it's, questionable it's very questionable especially in today's sort of you know society and so mm. forth but like Spe- especially holds, with yeah. a very fascisty kind of uh, feel to yeah. them as well. Yeah, yeah. this is it. Um, <laughs> and plus, you you're, li- you're likely to get more credibility for saying you're of law hold instead of Boris in a commander setting. So mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> for sure. So with Strixhaven come a bunch of new cards that are probably going to make waves in a number of formats. In my opinion, particularly commander, but there's definitely huge impact across multiple formats here. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about some of our top cards from Strixhaven. We're not going to we're not going to number these. We're just going to sort of take turns, have a bit of a chat about each one. With that said, why don't you start us off, Emma? What's your first top pick from Strixhaven? So my first pick from Strixhaven is Multiple Choice. Uh, so mm. Multiple Choice is a sorcery. It is an X spell in blue, and it reads: If X is one, scry one, then you draw a card. If X is two, you may choose a player. They return a creature they control to its owner's hand. If X is three, create a 4-4 blue and red elemental creature token. And if X is four or more, you do all of the above. And one thing I love about this card is that it gives you options. You always have something to do. Um, and it's a really great theme for the mm. set overall. Strixhaven has a lot of choice. I know a lot of people are criticised saying, oh, there's a lot of text on cards. And it's like, that's because it's modular. There's a lot of options. There's a lot of things you can do yep. with these cards. And it just, like, multiple choices mitigates mana flood and mana screw, used for the all points in the game. You can always do something. And you could probably make a point that is sort of a budget cryptic command. It's not quite the same as, like, counter draw, but you still have that mm. flexibility at sorcery speed. I really like this card. This is, like, when someone comes to me, oh, what is Strixhaven about? Like, what is the theme? I'm like, cards like this, like cards that give you the ability to do whatever you want during a match. Yeah, yeah, it's a really sweet card. I feel like it would be pretty neat in Commander. I I think Standard is probably the safest home for it. Um, You might find it in other places as well. Mm. But again, it really depends on sort of what lens you're looking at this through as with most cards you know if you're looking at it from like a top table competitive thing then no this isn't really going to show up anywhere but like unless you're trying to win a gp play what feels good to you and that's regardless of the format and yeah i would play multiple choice in well multiple formats it's really (laughs) sweet i like it i like it a lot i think the only bad mode on this personally i think is x equals three agreed because that's just four mana make a four four whereas everything else is reasonable value or in the case mm. of x equals four insane value yeah so yeah 
Yeah, it, it feels like it's worded like a commander card as well because of the X equals two part. You may choose mm. a player yeah. and then they return a creature they control to its owner's hand so you can get a little political with it. I like that. Um, so that's that's one of my cards from Strixhaven. Do you have a particular card that you enjoy from the set? Well, the first one of many that I have is <laughs> it may come of no surprise to you that I'm going to pick a blue and red card, which it's going to take me a little time to get used to, but I'm going to have to get used to changing from calling them it cards to Prismari cards because it is a Prismari card. And that is Teach by Example is hybrid blue-red, hybrid blue-red for an instant that reads, when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell and you may choose new targets for the copy. So spell copy effects like this are a dime a dozen. The huge thing about this is that it's now at common. That's a first, I believe. This could be playable in Pauper, but one place where I know it's going to see play from now until the end of time is Pauper EDH. Any deck that runs blue and red is just going to have Teach by Example in it, I believe, as long as you at least have a few other instants and sorceries, which, if you're in blue and red, you're probably going to have. So, yeah, it's just really cool. It's a, it's a niche and it's a niche thing that I guess someone probably was looking for, but not many, but they just thought it was cool, so they're added in. And mm. this, to me, so shows that they're kind of still putting out little tidbits here and there for the pauper community as like, oh, this is a unique effect that's now in the format, so now this is another option for, for brewing or deck building or whatever. And I really like that they're still doing this. Mm. So, yeah, it's not particularly powerful or impactful, but I just think it's really cool that they're doing stuff like this. Yeah, it's a notable mention, isn't it? Just because you don't get that sort of effect yeah. at common. And hopefully it means we'll get more. Like, hopefully this is the first of many. Mm. What is the next one on the list, Emma? What so the got? next one on the list is, unsurprisingly for me, it is a white card. Um, and mm-hmm. it is Elite Spellbinder, which is for free mana. So two generic and a white, you get a human cleric, which is quite important here. Um, it has mm. flying. When Elite Spellbinder enters the battlefield, you look at target opponent's hand. You may exile a non-land card from it for as long as that card remains exiled. Its owner may play it. And if the spell is cast, uh, they have to pay two more mana to cast it. And it is a 3-1. Yep. This is going to be really great in stuff like Mono White Death and Taxes because it's really good off an mm. Aether Vial. It's essentially the white Vendillion clique, which is really, really cool. It's cool that white is getting these sort of options. Yep. The only issue you have with Death and Taxes is that it does create tension with stuff like Arkham of Emeria because your free slots are already quite oversubscribed because you have stuff like Flicker Wisp as well. And sometimes you even play like Fadia Heretic Kafar as well. So... Finding that room is going to be quite difficult. However, it's probably a really good medical against a like, control or mid-range, so you can tailor it. That's what Death and Taxes is quite good at doing. Um, mm. I could see it in, in Modern Humans as well, which I know is a favourite deck of yours, Scott, um, because it does have yeah. that relevant typing. It is a human, and it's really good off an Aether Vial. Um, I can definitely see it in like a sideboard option in, in like five-colour uh, Modern Humans. And lastly, mm. it's a free one. It flies like Flicker Wisp or often finishes games and this is going to be the same. Yep. I plan on picking one of these up for my Aura Skyclave Hierophant deck as well because it's yep. a cleric. Yep. Which is neat. But, also, uh, it triggers Righteous Valkyrie because they care about clerics and this is a cleric as well just as another tidbit of yes. information if you want to play cleric tribal and even stuff like Soul Sisters because like, they're all clerics and Righteous Valkyrie has been seen a lot play there too. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen Soul Sisters splash black before for hand disruption so... Mm. The fact that you can just stay monocolored for it now would be pretty nice, yeah. Now, the next one that I have, Emma, is one that I don't think people have really been paying much attention to. And I don't really know why, okay? Because, look, I'll just read it, right? Tempted by the Auric 
is one blue 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 so we're in cryptic command mana territory and it's a sorcery and it says for each opponent gain control of up to one target creature or planeswalker that player controls with mana value three or less so Uh two things here first of all mana value if we didn't talk about it before i can't remember if we did or we didn't but let's just update again anyway mana value is now converted mana cost that's that's what the old term was uh they're doing it so that it's neater and that it's easier to get through concept for newer players and stuff and i think it's just very neat it's very tidy if you're complaining about having to change grow up stop being so old anyway uh <laughs> i know that was very oxymoronic grow up and stop being old but like whatever but anyway the reason i'm talking about this card is because in commander this mm. is so good imagine stealing like a narset and like i don't know a dark confidant or like something ridiculous from each player or even just from two players mm. You can steal a bunch of stuff. Like you can steal, you can steal a Teferi Time Raveler and I don't know, Athalia or whatever other thing. You could steal a commander. Like you can do all sorts of stuff with this. I think honestly, if you were to get one thing off of this, it's good. If you get more than one thing off of this, it's absolutely bananas. Mm. It's so strong. I'll be honest, I haven't seen this card until we started recording. Like I it must I must have missed it over when looking at the previews. But yeah, this seems really sweet. Like this is this feels like a blue stapling commander, given like how yeah. powerful cheap creatures and planeswalkers are. Yeah. Like people have played in Transhumanity and Threads of Disloyalty and stuff before to steal mm. stuff in blue. This is just a mass steal effect for four mana. It's insane. So yeah. If you're in the mood for cards like this for Commander, this is a definite pickup here. Mm-hmm. Now, Emma, I'm looking at the list here. Okay. <laughs> we need to talk about this next card. Mm-hmm. All right. You need to explain yourself as to why this human is on a list. Right. So what <laughs> Scott is implying here, we're talking about Silver Course Silencer. So for a white and a black mana, you get a creature. You also get a human cleric. You kind of see the theme that I'm going mm-hmm. with here. It is a 3-2 which is, all, is already a good rate. As Silverquill Silencer enters the battlefield, choose an online card name. Whenever an opponent casts a spell with the chosen name, they lose free life and you draw a card. I'm quite excited for this card because these are the sort of cards I like to play in my, in my creature aggro decks. And I know, mm-hmm. you're, like, I know people can't see the video of, like, of this recording, but Scott's just not very impressed right now because it's, uh, it's very good <laughs> against like, spell-dense strategies. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I like about this card that is it seems to be pretty good in like Alls of Humans in Pioneer because often you would play yes. Sin Collector and Sin Collector is a little bit cumbersome and this just feels a lot better. Mm-hmm. I do think there is room for this in Five Color Humans as well in Modern. It does create a little bit of tension with Meddling Mage because Meddling Mage is the better of that effect. However, you could probably run a couple in the sideboard if you want extra copies of that effect because you do get to draw a card and the, free lo- the, the loss of life is relevant in, in certain matchups. But yeah, the fact it's a human is great. It's a cleric. It's great. It just seems really, really powerful. And it's nice to have that option in Pioneer just against like, the control of mid-range strategies. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I specifically don't like this because it's a human. Everything else on this card is fine. The fact that it's a human, I just stop giving good humans to humans, please. Just stop. It's good enough. They could have made this like a vampire or something. I think it would have been fine. 100%. I agree. I agree that the human might be a bit too good on it, but we'll have to see. I, I love these kind of cards though. So. You know what I'm thinking though? That because with the likes of this and Meddling Mage and Kitesail Freebooter and all of those kind of effects, I genuinely think that five color humans could remain a deck in modern, but also potentially 
have a far more disruptive version, maybe Esper humans. Yeah. That could be a, an additional deck that could come out because there's enough of these disruptive creatures now that it's it'll sit somewhere between five color humans and death and taxes. Yeah. And I think that's a seriously powerful setup that you can have, especially if you're playing against a lot of like spell based decks or combo decks or that kind of thing, or things that require big single spells to resolve, like Amulet Titan and that kind of thing. Mm. Going further, you can probably run this just Orzhov Death and Taxes, the non-Eldrazi variant as well. Like, you could just make Orzhov Humans in Modern as well, because you have Aethervile. Yep. Yeah, the card seems really powerful. And also, a side note on the art, it does pay a little homage to Meddling Mage a little bit, because it's the fire around it as well, which I thought was a nice little touch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. I'm done now. <laughs> I am going to talk about a human next, but okay. it's going to be alongside uh, a Leonin, and that makes it all better. Because neither of these are going to see playing humans. <laughs> and they are Clever Lumomancer and Leon and Lightscribe. So Clever Lumomancer is one white mana for an 0-1 human wizard. With Magecraft, however, whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, Clever Lumomancer gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. And then similarly, the reason I'm talking about it at the same time is there's another creature with Magecraft that's one and a white for a 2-2 Cat Cleric. With Magecraft, that says whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Now, already there are a bunch of places in which this could go, and they will be actually the creatures that I think will forge new decks. And that is, well, first of all, in modern, Boros Blitz, because you run stuff like Kiln Fiend, you run stuff like Monastery Swift Spear, Clever Lumomancer now as well, possibly Leon and Lightscribe, depending on how creature heavy you want to get. And you still get access to all of the super, super powerful spells like Lightning Bolt, Manamorphose, and Mutagenic Growth, and all that kind of stuff. You still have access to Lavadark. You have all of these. So it can 100% be an extremely, extremely dangerously fast deck that can really just kill out of nowhere. Potential turn two kills with a Clever Lumomancer if you have an absolute nut draw of a hand. So it's definitely something to be aware of. Similarly, in Pioneer... I think a Boros aggro deck could be absolutely created and bolstered by these creatures because, again, you have Soulscar Mage, you have Monastery Swift Spirit, you have the Leona Lightscribe and the Clever Lumomancer, you add a couple of other creatures like some of the other powerful ones, like maybe. Um, what about Seeker of the Way? You could do Seeker of the Way, you could do Bonecrusher Giant, you could do uh, Abbot of Carol Keep, you could do all of these like mm. really, really good creatures that, you know, thrive off spells being cast or have spells attached to them. And all of a sudden you have a very, very potent force to reckon with. Mm. And then if your opponent does somehow manage to deal with all of these incredibly powerful fast hitters, you still have burn to just close out the game. Yeah, and because you're Boros in Pioneer, you have a good mana base. You have the pain lands, you have the fast lands already legal, and you have the pathways as well if you want to go even more budget. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of potential with this, I think. Big time. Speaking of cards with high potential... <laughs> the next card I see on the list here, Emma, that you've put down, it's very flavorful for you, yeah. but I am in agreement as to its potential here. Yeah, so uh, Reconstruct History is the next one on, on our list, and so it is a sorcery. So for two generic and a red mana and a white mana, uh, you return up to one artifact card, up to one enchantment card, and up to one instant card, up to one sorcery card, and up to one planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. Then you exile Reconstruct History. This card seems really, really good, especially in Commander. And it's just mm. going to be a staple in every Boros deck, every five-color deck. Any deck that runs red and white, you want to run this card. Just because the value is so good. 
it might see some playing standard in like the slower sort of decks because it just seems really good with stuff like Showdown of the Skulls that you can bring back your sagas and just go off again. Mm. Just seems really fun. But yeah, this is a really powerful effect and it's nice to see Boris get that recursion that you don't often see. Yeah. And which lends to the approach of Lawhold when it's finding relics and finding information and digging up stuff. It, it lends to that approach. But yeah, like, I'm really excited for this card because it just seems super powerful and it might go in my cube as well, which is another reason I'm excited for it because it is an uncommon. Yep. It's not even a rare. It is an uncommon. It's crazy. It's very sweet. The thing that I think about with this is that I think it's a little too restrictive for most decks in Constructed because in order for you to get good value out of it in a Constructed 20 Life format, you probably want to be getting like three cards back. Mm. Yeah, that, that can be a little tough. Like it can de- absolutely happen and it might just happen incidentally sometimes, but you kind of need to, when you're building it, you'll have to like look at the spells that you're doing and you're like, okay, I have X number of instants. I need to add another couple of sorceries to make it likely for me to get that. Mm. And then I should probably add a planeswalker for to make sure that I can get some extra value at some point. And it could be a little tough. Whereas over a course of a 40 life game with commander with a hundred mm. cards in your deck and there are frequent board wipes, this seems really good. Like you could be the person casting the board wipe yeah. and then you can untap, cast reconstruct history and just get your board back along with like a one or two extra spells and stuff like that seems phenomenal seems really good um it doesn't get back creatures which is fine um one mm-hmm. deck i can see playing this card is like five color nib decks yeah. to get back your teferi time ravelers to get back your abrupt decay your you know say like your supreme verdict or something or whatever sweeper that you have that mm-hmm. that seems really good because you can get it off a nib mizzet yeah but yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of this card it's probably one of my favorite uncommons to come from the set just because it it's it does a lot but it's not busted it's just good it's real cool i really like the sort of direction that they're going with graveyard recursion and they're making it less about like whoa zombies and reanimation and evil stuff and instead they're like but this is how you know you would dig up the past and like actually look into the history of stuff i love how they've used the graveyard in a in a more positive and like learning appropriate kind of way it's it's weird and it's fantastic i love it and Reconstruct History is absolutely a, a phenomenal example of how flavorfully great I think the, yeah. the schools are. Yeah, it's really cool. And next on our list is not a huge surprise for Scott, considering he has mentioned it a couple of times in a few episodes in the last few weeks. Uh, do you want to take this one? Okay, yeah. So uh, I have notes on this one, um, which, by the way, if you want to see these notes, they are in the show notes. And they are available through our Patreon. So before I dive into my notes, I'm going to read out the card so that you know what it does. So it's one, a blue, and a red for an instant. And you choose two. Prismari Command deals two damage to target. Target player draws two cards, then discards two cards. Target player creates a treasure token or destroy target artifact. Now, I'm going to dive in. Like I said, I'm going to be reading off the notes, so this is going to be reamed out pretty quickly. First of all, it's extremely versatile. There will always be relevant modes. Phoenix in Modern could potentially come back with this, but not as the deck that you'd expect, because Is It Blitz is the better Blitz deck, so Phoenix will have to be a more controlling and interactive deck. And an Is It Charm that gives you a treasure for the next turn so you can untap and set up so that you can go off the following turn is phenomenal. Two damage hits a huge number of creatures and planeswalkers in Modern and Pioneer, which is a place that I think it could really help to bolster the power of Is It Phoenix. And... Not to mention, this is definitely going to be an absolute banger in Commander. There's no way that you will have 
any situation where none of these modes are relevant. Like, you want to ramp a little bit? Cool. You want to blow up a Sol Ring? Cool. You want to kill something? Cool. You want to just churn through your deck to try and find more stuff? Cool. Do all of it. Do, do all of the things. This is phenomenal, fantastic, Prismari Command. I may be biased, but you know what? I don't care. It's just, it's great. It's so good. I, I do think it's That's the it. best command out of the cycle. <laughs> and it's not close. Yeah. I think it's easily the best one. And I think the Simic one's the one after that. Because yeah, I always, always, I think the Law Hold and the Silver Quill ones are good, but they're just too expensive. Like four and five banner is so much for a command. Um, it's not quite like Ojatai's yeah. command or Silingar's command. It, they immediately impact for that cost, whereas these two don't mm. seem quite as good. With Prismari command, it just seems a lot more flexible, and you can just make treasure. You yeah. get you get mana back, which is great in in you know is it colors in Prismari colors? Sorry, yeah, like I, I'd be happy to jam this in Pioneer and Standard. It's just there's so much you can do. Yeah. I'm getting a playset because I'm probably going to run two in Phoenix and Pioneer. I'm going to try and make it work in Modern. And then I have like two or three blue, red X decks in Commander anyway that I'm just going to jam them in because they're just great. So So if I open Prismari commands, I'm sending them to you. Got it. I will not say no to more Prismari (laughs) commands. (laughs) All right. So we have two more and we kind of figured we'd talk about them at the same time because they kind of do the same thing, quote unquote. So... Emma, I'm just after talking at length, so uh, I'm going to give you the floor for these ones. Yep, so we kind of cheated with this one. We've got two here, and they're uncommons, and they're really, really good uncommons. So the first mm. one we're going to talk about is Fracture, which is for an instant, and you pay for one white, one black mana. It's very simple. Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or planeswalker for two mana at an uncommon at instant, which is very, very good. Again, lending to the point I made earlier, it gives you choice. There's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of things you can do with this spell. There's a lot of the ceilings quite high. And another one that is also quite good is Rip Apart. So for red and a white, you get a sorcery. That is also an uncommon. Um, You get to choose one. Rip Apart deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. Or you destroy target artifact or enchantment. And I believe both of these are going to see a lot of play in pioneer sideboards, in standard Mm. sideboards, and in modern sideboards, just because the flexibility is there. When you build sideboards in modern and pioneer, you want to have, you want, you want to widen it. You want to hit a lot of things. And these do that. Mm -hmm. And the fact that these can hit planeswalkers as well is such a big deal. Like it's really good to see uncommon and common planeswalker removal that is affordable and not, you know, yep. a, like a limited-esque and like it's four or five mana. These are like two mana. The mana requirements are easy because the mana bases in Modern Pioneer are pretty good. And yeah, these are just great. And also, I, I imagine you'd agree with this, Scott, they're also great in Commander. Oh, 100%. 100%. Like, if you have a black-white deck, add a Fracture. You know, yeah. like, for me, a black-white removal suite would start with something like, you know, a board wipe that's relevant for your deck. Fracture, despark, mortify, done. Next, you know they they would be the 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 baseline ones that I would sort of choose because they cover so many things. Every single one of those things covers a wide range of stuff. Same with the the red white stuff. You know, like rip apart here might read kind of like a braid, only a couple more options, and it's a sorcery and it's harder to cast. But like realistically, in most formats, it's not going to be harder to cast because mana bases are fine. You know. But being able to hit a Planeswalker is huge. Being able to hit an enchantment is huge. Like, I could potentially see this even in sideboards of Burn and Modern. Because Mm. the sideboards in decks like that are so condensed. Like you said, like, you have so few slots available to cover everything. 
that this just counting as your artifact and enchantment aid while also being additional creature removal if you need it or planeswalker removal if you need it is phenomenal absolutely phenomenal like get rid of your wear tears everybody stick your rip aparts yeah. in let's go to town people I are looking agree. at this and going it'd be great if it was an instant yes it absolutely would but it being a sorcery does not kill the potential of this card I, I do appreciate how Watsi are upping the power level of commons and uncommons. Like that disparity mm-hmm. between rare and uncommon is quite it's pretty close now, um, and it's great from a budget outlook because yep. it means you can still play these powerful cards and not break the bank. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see more cards like this. These are great. They're going in my cube. Like I'm just going to keep bringing that up because it's just nice to have these flexible <laughs> answers in in cube. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So. That is it for our top picks for Strixhaven at this point. Let us know what you think. If there are any cards that we've missed, you know, or are there any cards that you think people have been sleeping on, or if there are any cards that are possibly overrated, let us know at us on Twitter at the BMcast. That seems fun. A little Set underpowered. It is neat. It is very Marge Simpson holding a potato. Um, I'm, I'm quite excited to see how it plays out in like standard and stuff because it's quite hard to evaluate because there's nothing that I've seen that's like, yeah, this is going to break standard, which is a nice, it's a nice reprieve, granted, but often you yeah. get a good idea of what's going to see play, but haven't quite seen that yet. So it'd be interesting to see what the pros do and what people, quote unquote, break or what sticks. You see, the problem there is it, it does sound like it's a good thing, but the problem with standard is we already know what's going to kind of be the best thing in standard is it great got it in, got it in one <laughs> an embercleave yeah. yeah pretty much pretty much rotate faster watsy please <laughs> all right so moving on from strict seven cards we're going to jump into some q a and i believe we have a few questions this week Emma, don't we? we have we've got quite a few questions this week so we'll start off with christopher mccarthy who is our latest patron so oh. they ask so i'm looking to get into modern for the first time and I know it's a lot of decks run off-color fetches. And they're especially thinking of the Is It Blitz deck that runs Arid Maces and Wooded Foothills, despite nothing in the deck costing white or green. Wouldn't an island or a mountain just do the job? Also, they say they love the podcast and it's the best and it's their favorite one, hands down, which I agree. Nice. So thank you for that. <laughs> I also agree. I think we're the best. Yeah, I think we're great. <laughs> I just think we're neat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Christopher, yeah. Forget about the fetches, don't bother with them. Um, Especially if you're getting into modern for the first time, right? You might look at these metagame decks, these top tier decks, these tournament winning decks and go, oh, these are the ones I should be building, right? And yes, if you like the archetype, absolutely. But do you need to commit financially super hard to them from the get-go? No, absolutely not. And the place in which you can cut is in the mana base. Normally I say mana bases are like the first place where you need to invest money. But in the case of fetches, All of the other lands that are available are so good at this point that fetches are kind of unnecessary in a lot of decks. Now, there are some that do require them, like, you know, say Death Shadow and that kind of thing, where they need to deal damage to themselves and they need more stuff to fuel for Delve spells and that kind of thing. But for these kind of decks, no, no. Like, just look at a Pioneer Blue-Red deck and you'll get a very, very good idea as to how you could build a deck without fetches. And just sort of run with that. Now, I do know that the Is It Blitz decks in Modern don't run any islands, despite running Blood Moon of the Cyborg, which seems weird. But ultimately, nearly every single spell in the deck is red anyway. And if you land a Blood Moon, you're the one that's going to be winning. And if you don't land a Blood Moon, you can still use your blue cards anyway. So it's never really that much of a problem. Uh, The only reason that they run 
off-color fetches or whatever is so that they can fetch the steam vents, usually. So you can get blue and red. But, like, to be honest, like I said, just look at, like, is it Phoenix and Pioneer and take, like, that as a, as a baseline in which to run a fetchless mana base. And you'll do fine. Like, I run four Spire Bluff Canal, four steam vents, uh, four Riverglide Pathways, and then just sort of fill it in from there. And... It's been doing brilliantly, even even with lava darts and stuff, because I know the fetches normally fetch up specifically mountains so that you can sacrifice them to the lava dart stuff. I've never really had any problems with that either. So I wouldn't be too concerned. Don't even bother with the fetches. Just build the deck without them, enjoy it. And then if you really, really like it, commit the, the extra cost to the fetches if you really want to. But uh, don't feel compelled to. Yeah, if you want to go even more budget, you can run stuff like Shivan Reef as well, because they're both legal in Modern and Pioneer, and it's just cheap mana fixing mm-hmm. as well if you if you're really reluctant to spend a load of pennies on something you might not like that might be a good option as well yep 100 percent. um we have a tweet from that diff tcg they mm-hmm. suggest a nice stonks so they have a wonderful budget sideboard car for any deck that touches red roiling voltex from zendikar rising mm-hmm. is a great mm-hmm. is great versus grindy decks and it's a powerful answer to cards like force of negation and blood braid elf Turning off life gain is very important considering how good Helio combo is in modern at the moment. And it's under 50 cents. So if you play red and you're, you know, wanting some answers against these like powerful control cards and you want to annoy the life gain decks, this is a really good option. It's like a two mana enchantment and it just seems really powerful at the moment. You know what? I don't know what it is about the Q&As this week, but it's talking about things that I <laughs> use and play with. And I gotta love it. I gotta love it. That is TCG. I have a mono red burn deck and I have four roiling vortex in the sideboard because it has been proving, like you said, to be phenomenal against so many good things in the format right now. I bring them in. I actually, against Amulet Titan, I replace my Goblin Guides with roiling vortex for two reasons. One, Goblin Guide is kind of terrible in the matchup because it tends to just get blocked by a Dryad or something. And it's feeding them lands. Like they're going to get more lands off the top. They're, they're Titan. They run more than 30 lands. They're likely to get lands off Goblin Guide, so it's not good. Also, you just love to lava axe somebody when they cast a Summoner's Pact. It just feels so good. <laughs> so good. Um, but also, similarly, the, the life gain and stuff as well. But the great thing about it is that I use it in a different sense. I tend to bring it in as an alternate win condition for when I need to be the control deck. So against the likes of Amulet Titan and stuff, I want to be the control deck that I want to deal with the things they have on board, but I then don't have enough gas to go face. So what I do is I play the Roiling Vortex and then I try and deal with a couple of things that are on the board. Like if I need to use two burn spells on a Dryad, I'll I'll regrettably use them. But I know that the Roiling Vortex is going to sit there and constantly chip away at their life total. They can't use a Summoner's Pact. And when it comes to trying to gain life off of like Radiant Fountains and stuff, I can just stop them on the spot, along with my other like the skull cracks and stuff as well. So being able to turn it into an alternate win condition and then essentially like hard pivot your entire deck into just being a very, very I'm nothing but removal control deck actually works sometimes. It's it's rare that the matchup goes the way that it's supposed to for that Mm. to happen. But when it does, it's phenomenal. So, yes, I'm a huge fan of Rolling Vortex end rant like <laughs> i feel like really i've talked a, long it's not enough really now. A rant at this point it's it's <laughs> it's it's a good point um i agree so donkey carol has a question and this is probably my favorite one so far um what's your okay. favorite card in modern in a deck that you like the least oh this is a really good one it is a good one uh well my least favorite deck is probably human so i'm gonna say ether vial 
I'm like fair. a good eater vile, I guess. Yeah. It's definitely I, I, not, not a human su- anyway. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised you, you said humans. Um, so right. I think for me, I, I'm not really big on the big, you know, the Omnath four colour piles, five colour piles. Mm. Um, so I guess I go with Mana League because I like playing, <laughs> like doing a Mana League on turn two. But mm. that's about it. Like, I don't really like Omnath piles because, you know, they're just money piles, which is anti-BM mm-hmm. cast. So. Yep. Pulicon has a really good tweet if you are looking to pick up Magus of the Moons for your modern decks. So mm. thanks to Time Spiral Remastered, they have been reprinted and they're averaging about $46 at the moment. So if you want to pick up some Blood Moons on a creature, now's the time to do so. It's not bad, yeah. And you can play it off those Aether Vars as well. Mm. Love filing in the Magus of the Moon in my human's deck. <laughs> And lastly, Zach Traverso says, uh, so what are your uh, impressions on Strixhaven? And we kind of covered that during the um, the uh, earlier part of the episode, but we just wanted to acknowledge that we've got the question. Mm-hmm. To, to flog a dead potato, we just think they're neat. Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Aleandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Philippe Delmont, The Jazz Guy, The Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, The Pauper Guild, and Christopher McCarthy. At the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, Nurblin, Everett Brogan, and Tom Telford. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this wonderful group of people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budgetmagicast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.